0: Robin Martin. Hi, Robin. I'm
1: How you doing, Steve?
0: Well, I'm glad I'm not in Pollock Pines, Camino, or Placerville currently.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, I
0: unfortunate know. <laughs> for the folks down there, and I know most people are all probably staying inside and uh, and uh, taking care of taking care of um, themselves. And we certainly don't want anyone to 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 be hurt by this smoke in this air. So
1: isn't that the truth i i've uh, uh i think i may you know before they had these indexes that we're hearing about i think i've experienced some of those really terrible air qualities that our local listening audience some of whom are experiencing and yes you have to stay indoors and if you do have uh windows you kind of close them or you put wet towels around on the floor,
0: <laughs>
1: if there's a crack under the door.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Really daunting. But I think we should all somehow <clears throat> find it within ourselves to be hopeful that the future can hold uh, <laughs> some better moments in our air quality and... and. Um, it's going to be quite a fire season. I mean, we've already been through a lot. So I was really excited when Joanne Feist Kaufman, uh, hopefully, she'll join us.
0: Uh, she they're they're both here. They're both with us right now.
1: Oh, great!
0: So I you promise. so here's your chance to introduce them. <laughs> yes,
1: I I really want to introduce them because they're such good friends to me. Uh, uh, Joanne is Vice Kaufman, and uh, she is a retired fire scientist from U.S. Forest Service, Ph.D. in uh, Forest Resources, U.C. I mean, sorry, University of Washington. And she's done 24 years with the Forest Service, consultant for UBA Watershed Institute, FireSafe Council, and a community volunteer. And with over 30 FireWise Community Fire Hazard Risk Assessments, she is dedicated to improving fire safety, healthier forests and air in Nevada County and beyond. And I'm so glad you're here uh, and that you called me with this wonderful Leo. And I think he'll be joining us. Leo, are you there?
2: I am, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Well, Leo, what is so exciting about you is that you and your other friend, uh, Bowen Kyle, went to NU and graduated in 2017 and went to UC Berkeley and started this uh, Latteras, uh which is specializing in AI and data integration. And now you've returned home to use Ladderus to help our community fight wildfires. And probably other uh events that need uh everyone's attention <laughs> in terms of things. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah, so, absolutely.
1: You maybe you'd like to tell us the kind of uh an application maybe for cell phones that you and uh Bowen are working on because it's something I'm a little bit of a, you know, later adopter being a little older and everything. I want to hear about what you're doing.
2: Yeah, of course. So we are working on launching a community-facing platform uh, to help homeowners and individuals and residents um, and small business owners manage their risk around wildfires and prepare for evacuations, be informed, and really just put as much data as we can into the hands of the people who need it most, which is, you know, county residents right here. Um, this being where we grew up, we understand the uh, concern around wildfires and obviously during fire season. I mean, it's pretty much daily um, that these things, that these things happen and go out. So our goal is to put out both a mobile application and a web facing application that will help um, homeowners and residents really see where fires are um, how close they are to their house. And also, what evacuations might look like if they needed to evacuate in their zone or in other zones um, throughout the county.
1: And your parents, of course, while you were in school, were watching this uh, same story. So it's not as if you're, you know, um, unused to the story from your childhood and so forth as well. But uh, I'm sure they're delighted that you've returned to the community that you grew up in. And we're delighted
2: you're here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, they're they're definitely very very happy about that. And also, um, you know, we see it firsthand, just of course, how worried they are about um, about these wildfires and these events. Um, and it's it's obviously great just to be able to give back to the community. And um, this is very much our home too. So we're um, we're just happy we have a chance where everything seems to have worked out, where we can apply what we've made um, to help uh, the people we grew up with. So yeah.
1: So how did you happen to get into these kinds of applications? Was that something that you'd studied, or was it just something that was spawned by your uh, interests? What caused you to get into uh, this kind of a platform uh, application?
2: Yeah, great question. So while we were in Berkeley, we kind of, you know, we were sort of working in the software development space, both of us, and we kind of noticed that while we have all of these new technologies with AI and big data and all of that, um, a lot of the time they don't really get used um, for the people I think who need it most, and that's the individual, right, Um, the local resident, the homeowner, that kind of thing. Um, And and they're really the people that we think can benefit the most um, from these kind of advances. So our goal was to take that same kind of technology that's being used um, in some of the biggest companies in the world and really bring it to the level of the individual and the community um, and empower communities, really, with with the kind of information that that can provide. Um, so really kind of a democratizing data type idea. We're just trying to really bring it um, bring it to the people is really kind of our goal with this um, and to empower communities and local citizens to be informed, really.
3: Yeah, and Robin and Leo, if I might, this is Joanne, I just wanted to um, – talk a little bit about an example that I posed to them and they ran with it. Um, The Office of Emergency Services sent them to me to see what I thought about ideas of what was needed and lots of people that have heard me on the radio, one of the big Tandem Firewise communities, the biggest topic I talk about are evacuations and the roads and how we need to prepare the roads and we need to be prepared for evacuations. So I kind of have in my mind this picture that if I have to evacuate my neighborhood from Sage's Road near Ananda out to Mother Truckers, just a, you know a few miles there or less, now it takes me five to ten minutes, I ask them, well, how long do you think it's going to take me if everyone from my evacuation zone, 328, are going to go at the same time? Because I have this impression it's going to be a lot longer, but I don't really know what that might be, and I've thought that if i if I could visualize it a little better, have something tangible, my neighbors and I might make different decisions like take fewer cars or leave earlier so Leo, do you want to tell them kind of what you did because you could, they just ran with it um they were they're so sharp, and they just took it on and came up with something
2: yeah absolutely so yeah to joanne's point um evacuations and preparing for evacuations is obviously super important and and part of the issue like joanne's saying is just visibility into oh in a worst case scenario you know how long would it take to evacuate our area um and what would the traffic you know density look like in the case of a emergency evacuation right a lot different from the kind of normal traffic that we see every day um, and so what we've done is we've taken – we've used AI to uh, predict for, for really any homeowner or any zone or firewise wise community um, what evacuations might look like under certain conditions. So we give people the ability to kind of simulate sort of what-if scenarios. There's a map in front of them, and they can say for their address or for their zone or for their community, um, what would an evacuation look like in terms of number of cars on the road and the speed and um, – the wind conditions and all that kind of information, in addition to where the fires are, um, to help with planning and preparing, so that if an evacuation happened, people would be ready ahead of time, and they would have at least, you know, they've thought out kind of what that would look like um, in a real scenario. So basically, we combine a bunch of data visualization on maps uh, with our AI to help people prepare um, for that kind of situation.
3: Yeah, and I, I thought, well. In my worst nightmare would take me 45 minutes that normally takes me 5 to 10. And surprising, shocking is that it could be double than that, maybe not, maybe more. And that really got me thinking to the point that I already knew I was concerned, but now I know information so I can be more prepared to talk to my neighbors and encourage them not to take all their cars, carpool, and you know, or leave early. So, to me, it was really helpful to just have that information um, so I could make a better decision.
1: Well, I certainly am with you on that score, and then there's also the people out here and elsewhere that have animals that they have to transport, which can add to the confusion, we'll call it, at that time. So... These well-thought-out plans can help at least uh, get them thinking how to do this. That's what I find really uh, wonderful about what you've been up to. Go ahead, tell us more, please. And I do uh, think that later we'll take uh, calls from the audience who might be interested to know other questions in relation to this.
0: And the number, by the way, to to call later on is 530-265-9555. That's 265-9555 in the 530 area code.
3: And, and Leo, maybe you can kind of go backwards a little bit and talk about how you approached um, Nevada County OES and started talking to them, because I think it's really important that you haven't just done this in a vacuum. You grew up here, but you've talked to lots of people, and you started right there with the people that are in charge of emergency operations in the county.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Nevada County Office of Emergency Services, we uh, have worked with them for the past month or two on um, to really try to figure out how we can put this out in a way that can best serve the community and the first responders um, and the operators who are working, you know, in these situations to get people out. Um, And again, that's something we're also trying to bring to the table really is a platform that can bring in multiple stakeholders. So not just the first responders, but also the homeowners and also the small business owners. And really um, a kind of, it takes a village mentality to really kind of get everyone involved um, in the process of preparing and and planning for these kinds of events. Um, so to your point about you know, evacuating um, larger vehicles or vehicles with animals um, and trying to get that out, right? I think this is why a tool like this is so important because it gives people the ability to see and plan ahead of time, okay, how would it look if I took, you know, um, let's say, a, a heavy vehicle with me? How would it look if I took two cars versus one car or if you know, my community did that? Right? And sort of letting people mock up and see um, ahead of time how their actions can have a tangible impact and ideally a tangible improvement um, to making sure that um, people's lives are safe and they're able to get out when they need to um, and be prepared. Yeah. So for sure I think the focus is on really um, personalizing it and tailoring it to each uh, county resident um, who has a vested stake and making sure that they're safe from fire. Absolutely. That's
1: wonderful. That's really wonderful. We're, we're uh, anxious to hear more. From you and Joanne about this whole matter because uh, we've already seen how impacted it was for um, the radio station when they gave out information to find out your zone, you know, what number you're in and so forth and how those lines kind of got, you know, crowded just by mentioning it and then having to talk to people in their cars hopefully have the radio on and try to get them to disperse from areas where emergency vehicles and firefighters are working to uh, help the situation yeah Leo maybe you can kind of
3: describe what the screen might look like from a community member's standpoint and uh, you know, how that relates to the Nevada County dashboard type of information because that's why you've been working with uh, OES is you didn't want to reinvent the wheel. You wanted to be complementary and add value to what they had.
2: Right, absolutely. So I think that, you know, for example, when – so first off, um, everyone who uses the platform gets an account tailored just to them. So when they log in, chosen shows them their zone, and they know immediately they don't have to search for it, they don't have to look for it. It's right there in front of them always whenever they log in. Um, and it's really the focus is on tailoring it to whoever's using it, right? So if you log in in your zone, let's say 328, it'll put you right there. It'll show you your potential evacuation times, what the traffic flow will look like, and it'll let you kind of uh, mock up some what-if scenarios. And this same information, to Joanne's point, is then also available to the operators, the first responders who are working to get people out. So it's a way to bring together both the people who are being evacuated and the ones who are managing those operations um, in a way that's very tailored and personalized and custom to sort of each person using the platform. Because I think that our goal really always is to just put as much information as we can in the hands of homeowners, right? So not just um, what your zone is or what the evac times look like, but how close is the nearest fire? What's the wind and the weather information, you know, in that area as well? And things like that just to – that's what people want to know, right? Like when you – when you hear the code red go out, you want to know where is the fire right now and where is it going and, you know, do I need to get out or not, right? And so it's trying to prepare people ahead of time um, with as much information as we can to make those kind of decisions.
3: Now, Leo, do you... I know you've talked about I don't know if it's incorporated yet. Um, do you... Are you able to show real-time traffic? So if operations is blocking Highway 49... Is that going to show up as red, or how does that work?
2: That's right. In addition to forecasting future conditions, we also will show all of the real-time traffic data, um, accidents, road closures, uh, road blockages, all of that sort of information also available um, both to the community and to the operators. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: And, and I guess I'm still unclear how that's going to work <clears throat> if you're like Robin and I out in the boonies on the ridge. If there's not good cell phone reception, I assume we may not be able to see the same real time, but maybe that's not the case.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I know the county's been working really hard on uh, means of extending coverage and reception to areas that are uh, perhaps underserved in that regard. And we're also working on finding ways to do more offline caching and just a means of providing um, what information can be provided even in areas with low coverage. But absolutely, um, that's definitely something to work through, and we're, we're excited to kind of push the boundaries there.
3: Yeah. So, uh, Leo, maybe you could talk about the other um, problem or challenge I posed, and that is, you know, I've been and I've talked about this many times, Robin, on the show, yeah. is the importance of clearing, reducing fuels and vegetation along roads. And I've talked a lot to the county about it. You know, they need to really figure out a way to prioritize along the routes that we use the most. And how far back does it need to be done? Is the 10 to 15 feet enough? Usually not. So I've kind of posed to um, these guys that see if there's a way that they can take information on what the safety would be for specific locations, maybe using a photo, and then expand that so the county would have a better idea of prioritizing, the communities would have a better idea of where they need to do more work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think on the individual sort of property level basis, there's a lot that can be done um, to improve fire risk in terms of defensible space, fuel load, vegetation management. All those things, and down the line, one of the things that we want to provide um, users uh, is a way to see how improvements in those metrics really translate to tangible real life improvement in their fire risk, right? So really showing sort of validating the efforts that we know many people throughout the community are making to be safe, improve their fire risk, and to Joanne's point, um, make it easier uh, in the case of sort of county managed operations as well uh, to ensure that everyone is able to get out safely if there's an emergency. So we're also definitely looking at ways to uh, work on extrapolating fuel load conditions um, for roads based on historic data, um, and that ideally eventually gets integrated as well. By the way, um, we are opening the community-facing application for pre-registration starting on Monday, so that's August 30th, on Monday at ladris.com, L-A-D-R-I-S.com, You'll be able to pre-register for the platform and we'll have it out in the month of September this September next month yes, so please do sign up on um, and pre-register there starting monday
1: that's good you'll you'll re you'll remind us of that when our hour is up again
2: <laughs> absolutely
1: <laughs> yeah, oh that's wonderful um So you've really already laid a lot of groundwork, it sounds like, for this uh, situation during the fire season, and I'm sure it has applications beyond fire season as well. But um, uh, let's see, are there some other issues, Joanne, that you thought of that um, people might be interested in besides what we've already covered?
3: Yeah, well, Steve brought up smoke. Yeah. And I've been uh, ruminating in my head, and I'm going to write it pretty soon an op ed on, you know, everybody's pointing the finger. Well, the Forest Service or the state hasn't done enough forest management. And then people, the state or other people in the communities will say, well, you haven't done your defensible space. And the end result is, in part, you know, pointing the finger doesn't help. We actually all have a role to play, and we all produce smoke when these things burn. And so, you know, it's really important to think about what everybody does. You're clearing your defensible space is huge important to reducing smoke during a fire. You hardening your structure... Uh, reduces the chance it'll burn and produce not only lots of emissions, but toxic emissions. And then there's no No doubt doubt. that the federal government and the state, you know, we need to pressure them, need to invest more in active management. And I don't care whether it's prescribed burning or thinning or all of the above. Um, We all need to take responsibility for what's going on. And the smoke doesn't have to be this way. Sure, climate change makes it worse, but um, there wouldn't be as much smoke if there were
1: less fuels to burn. Isn't that so true for all of us? And so many of us came here to be in the forest, <laughs> and we love it, but at the same time, now it's looking more dangerous than ever. And um, Having experienced a fire here in 76, I can uh, tell you that during a fire, uh, and if it's in your area, you are faced with uh, all of the above that we've spoken of so far that you did address, Leo and Joanne, and it's not really uh, anybody else's uh, responsibility but yours at this moment. Uh, when that fire is happening, so
3: yeah. yeah, you know the additional thing, and I, I had an op-ed in the union, and you've um, been recently, is that you know when we don't do our work around our homes, and you hear like on the Dixie Fire for sure, well, half of the firefighters or the majority are doing quote structure prep. What that means is they're doing the work that we didn't do
1: mm-hmm.
3: instead of to protect those homes instead of going out and trying to stop the fire. And worse yet, you know, when people don't evacuate, um, then and that's their choice in some ways. but if it's an order, you know, there's a reason it's an order because it can be life and death. So okay. what happens if you haven't evacuated, and the fire's just roaring, then the firefighters have to endanger themselves to try to save you because now you may change your mind and say, help, or they don't want you to die. Um, And then they can't even protect the structures because instead of that, they have to obviously save people. So, you know, there's, there's a lot involved with doing our work.
1: That is so true. That's so true. And even after a fire goes through a particular area, even it happened at my place, other structures burned because
4: there uh,
1: was nobody uh, there, of course, and those kind of fires then ignite other directions. You see what I mean?
3: yeah and we have to assume that there won't be firefighters at our house because if it's a huge thing going on uh there may not be enough and the dixie fire they were fortunate when that uh, broke out because there weren't nearly as many fires in the state at that time now there's a lot so you know they're competing for those resources and uh Or that the firefighters may not be safe. I know where I live. I live at the top of the Middle Fork, Yuga River, and uh, I know a lot about fire, and I'm not going to stay, and I certainly don't want them there. So I just have to do my job ahead of time and make my structure, like I say, have a fighting chance.
2: Exactly. Great. And one of the things that we're trying to provide for people, I think, also with this slide platform is a way for people to see if they do make these improvements, if they do create more defensible space, implement that home hardening and all of that, how that tangibly impacts the risk of fire, and we'll have a means of showing them that. So that's, that's another um, contribution that we'd like to make in terms of putting information in the hands of homeowners, for sure.
1: That, that means that in some way, you're kind of looking down, as it were, on the map in real time, I suppose.
2: Yeah, and you have a means of seeing not only where the fires are, but also what you can do um, then to prepare for that in terms of, okay, what does it look like if I have, you know, 25 feet on average of defensible space versus 15? And how does that change my risk, right? So that also is um, something we're looking at implementing, and we want to have available uh, for the public-facing version of the platform. Absolutely. It's important for people to see, you know, this is how it impacts it.
3: And not just what the insurance companies do, which is look at satellites three-quarters of the time and say, you live in a dense forest, which I have to agree with them, that's a huge risk. But if you drill down and you have a photograph of the location from the ground and you're using artificial intelligence to help evaluate, you know, what the fuel loading is there, that might be a better answer. It could be that there's continuous cover or pretty good cover of black oak, but there's no ladder fuels. The ground is pretty clear. So there's a risk there, but it's way different than what you'd see on a satellite. So I'm pretty excited what they can do with their artificial
1: intelligence. Because that would then look at the... uh gradients that exist in our area, which are very steep often, Uh, you know, around um, dwelling sites, you know, steep canyons and um, that kind of thing. Um, So you've got elevations to deal with here. We're not flatlanders here.
2: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's important to take all of this into account when evaluating risk um, for kind of on a per property basis for homeowners because this is information that they know, um, that they know about their property. That you know, to your point, um, a lot of people do experience cancellations and um, increases in, in the, the price of their policies and so forth. And um, a lot of that's, you know, they just, they just don't have the insurance companies just don't always have the most complete picture about that. And our goal is really to make sure that the homeowners are the first people to have this kind of information. Um, and then we can be transparent about how this data is generated and make sure that it gets, you know, given to the homeowners first so they can evaluate the risk as well.
1: That's wonderful. Well,
0: uh, by oh. the way, we had a caller who uh, wanted to ask Joanne a question uh, anonymously and just said, wants to know how Joanne feels about the fireproofing of uh, the, or, or the three schools in the Twin Ridges district, how prepared they are for fire.
3: Uh, and I'm assuming two of them are out here on the ridge. Um, I actually participated in the semi-formal evaluation of one, won't name the name, because it's in a, a Firewise community and training, and that, that was one that was identified as recommended that it get a um, an an advisory inspection by cal fire the fire district and then myself so we did that and there were a lot of good parts to it you know a lot of these schools have a lot of green lawn that's good a lot of them have open canopy but like almost every other place there's areas that they could improve and I'm assuming since they got that because I, I we gave them I don't know 20 or 30 specific recommendations that and photos to go with it that they you know moved or removed more of the vegetation within five feet of the structures and looked more at you know vegetation around the playgrounds et cetera. but I can tell you that Seven Hills school, has removed hundreds of trees in uh, cooperation with or collaboration with the Fire Safe Council in Nevada County, getting free um, tree uh, removal, not necessarily removal, but cutting them down and either chipping or cutting the trees up from the California Conservation Corps. So I know some of that's been done at one of the schools out here in Twin Ridges. Um, and, you know, they're, they're always looking to do more of that. So I think there's progress. I think there's good parts. I think just like a
1: lot of homeowners, they can do more. Well, that's for sure. And I know that the areas um, around the Dixie fires have been, uh, a lot of it is big meadows, but then it goes into the mountains. And uh, we don't have that many, in quote, big meadows here in our area, anyway, on the ridge. And um, it's somewhat true, I suppose, in other parts of uh, the adjacent counties, uh, which would be um, Yuba County and um, Sierra County. And there's also Placer County, which we know how difficult it is for their. Uh, circumstances right now. So, um, yes, these are real important issues, and other public buildings and businesses as well are, of course, heavily impacted by this. And uh, even water in in certain areas is a, at, at a minimum compared to other years. So there are a lot of issues to contend with.
3: Yeah, and whether it's a school, a fire station, a store, um, community center, I mean, really the place to start is the um, defensible space guidelines that CAL FIRE has for every structure, PRC-4291. It's on their website. And then for those type of public spaces, I think it's important to go, you know, as much to the, you know, sparse vegetation end as you can because people may be gathering there. And a lot of these structures are more ember resistant. Some of these schools have non-flammable siding or they have enclosed eaves or metal roofs. So, you know, some of them are in good shape and others are older. And like a lot of homes, they just have some improvements
1: to make.
0: Um, is a, a, would this be a good time to start taking some phone calls from uh, uh, our listeners?
1: I think it's fine. What about you, Leo and uh, Joanne?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
5: Yeah.
0: Okay, we have a caller. Hi, you are live on the air.
6: Hi, I was just wondering, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about with this program and the analysis, I'm wondering, can it be used uh, for community growth? factors as well just to see as far as when we talk about population growth talk about uh you know the roads and what they can handle for the population that we have here so not only in just an emergency situation but use it the same for a day-by-day for uh nevada county growth factor
2: yeah that's a great question and absolutely um population assumptions and demographic assumptions um Absolutely, you're taken into account during the analysis, and we'd like to open up to the residents a way to alter some of those assumptions. So you can say, yeah, you know, what if uh, the population did grow, or what if, let's say, there was a special event being held that temporarily increased the population, and how would that change evacuation scenarios and, and traffic flow? Definitely. Absolutely.
6: So it, it sounds like right now, are you trying to make this program that it's accessible for uh, counties, cities, states, or are we looking at just right now going to general public?
2: So we're, um, we're looking at partnering both on a county level and ideally later down the road on a state level um, on the operator side of things, on the first responder side and the government side. But um, the public-facing platform will be available first, and that's what will go out to the community first. And um, to help us get it out there and drive adoption, um, we're absolutely looking at partnering. And we've worked pretty closely with uh, Nevada County OES, um, and we're working with them to see how we might be able to start getting it out and into the hands of uh, the homeowners as soon as we can. Absolutely.
6: All right. Great.
0: I guess that's good for me. And thanks for the call. Thank you. Thank you. And we have another caller. Great. Hi, you are live on the air.
6: Hey, um, this is more likely than you might think. During the Bennett fire, I was in Auburn, and I lived in an area that was not yet in an evacuation warning. So it was still safe for me to get home, but I needed to know which roads were closed, which areas I could get to, what traffic was where, so that I could get home so I could pack up if I needed to get into the evacuation warning uh, potential. So it's kind of a backwards... Uh, evacuate, but it was before the evacuation started and i didn 't figure out how to get home um, and I suspect there's going to be a lot more of that happening than you might think, and something to be, think about for this app
2: yeah, I think you're absolutely right um and that is why I think also to joanne 's point earlier, we'll definitely be providing real time traffic data and also um you know where there are closures, where the road's been shut down, um incidents, and such like that. So that if you happen, like you're saying, to not be at home and you still need to plan, you know how this is going to look in the event of an actual evacuation or even before the warning, um, we definitely and want we to provide homeowners capability. capability, and that'll be that'll be ready to go when we release the app. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. I Thank
3: have you. to say that I'm around with my go bag in my car right now.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I remember the forty nine er fire that way, many of my friends that we even evacuated, thinking the fire would jump across the canyon again um, the, everybody was driving around with all their belongings, <laughs> so to speak, you know their important things, and uh, that was just the state of the event at that time
0: oh, and by the way, I just wanted to mention that our phone phone number is five three zero. 265 9555. If you have a question, um, that's 265 uh, 9555 in the 530 area code or question or a comment.
3: Yeah, and you know, along those lines, I finally said I'm too old thinking here and I got to get modern. And the uh, lead of the Coalition of Firewise Communities in Nevada County. He said on a, a meeting we had not very long ago, you know what, put your important documents on the cloud. And I'd been very resistant to that, but I have to tell you, as soon as I did it, I have like this big sigh of relief because I, I have a, you know, fire-resistant safe, but I know enough about fire temperatures, I don't trust it unless I bury it in the ground. And so now it's like this huge thing, and I've scanned most of my family photos, and they're on the cloud. And so really I just need a few things. And the more we can really do that, it'll, it'll let go of a lot of anxiety. Because of, you, you don't always get to go back in. That, that's really, um, and I'm sure that could be very, very frustrating for people. I know that's happened in some of these recent fires. That's so true,
1: Joanne. I've got the cloud myself. <laughs> so what else, Leo, would you think of that uh, would be pertinent at this time? And we'd love more call-ins at 265 area code 530, uh, for call-ins. What else, uh, Leo or Joanne, are... Uh, good ideas.
2: Yeah, so I think um, just to make sure that I, that I get this in there, I think um, one of the things we really want to provide homeowners is a way to, for their particular property, the information that they know, how to estimate their risk of fire. So let's say like a wildfire risk score, for instance. And, and how does that change, let's say, if it's, you know, like there was you know, 25 feet of defensible space on average to Fifteen. Like, how does that change the risk score, and can I see that tangibly in front of me? So that's a piece of information we'll also be providing um, to users of the application, in addition to their evac time and the traffic flow, also a fire risk score, and really, um, you know, what's the nearest fire to their location right now, what's the wind and weather. Uh, But it's really, again, about just making sure that they have a means of seeing how the improvements that they make to their property can impact their actual risk of a fire.
3: And and I think it's important to note on this one is that they they first mentioned this to me and I said, Well, there's a lot of risk indices out there. How is this gonna work? But I think that when it's uh transparent what the basis is for it and I believe that's what they're working on. Like here's what we think the fuel loading is, here's what it looks like, uh, zero to five feet, five to thirty and thirty to a hundred that coincides with the defensible space requirements of CAL FIRE, then whether, you know, it's similar or different than another index, at least you know exactly what it's based on. And that, to me, is really important. And as science changes, which it will, then you can say, well, now we know that it's not just that zero to five feet. It's actually zero to 30 feet that's more important than we thought, because climate you know so much warmer and hotter and and drier and um I think it's very useful um and I Leo I don't know if you want to talk about it but I you 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 all let you decide I threw another zinger at him this morning about an idea that I had and uh if you want to talk about it you can or I'll talk about it cuz I've worked with um given this idea to other People about forest management.
0: Just to let you know, we have three callers. Uh, They're awaiting to go on with you. So, <laughs> with us, great. So Sounds
2: we. Good. Well, do you want to maybe listen to the uh, callers' questions, and then we'll we'll circle back to the uh, Joanne's uh, comment there.
6: Sounds sure. good.
0: Okay. Hi, you're live on KVMR.
6: Okay, uh, I'm actually on that same topic forest management, I mean, our forests are the way they are because of, you know, what we did 50 years ago. Forests take a very long time to adapt, and we've just been, you know, using them for our own purposes without thinking about the long-term effects for so long that we're really going to have to start changing our focus to proper, you know, forestry management. And I I feel like uh, some of the things that we've learned through permaculture and retaining water in, in, on the high ground, you know, swales and catchments would really help a lot in increasing the health of our forest. And we're going to need to do that more and more as climate change. Yeah, I
3: think you're right. Soil management and water... Uh, in the soil, that retention is extremely important. And one of the things I've brought up in the past that's kind of the other side of the coin to that is when we have such high density of trees like we never had when fire was playing its natural role, uh, there weren't so many straws, as we call it, in the glass of water And now each tree, you think of it like a straw, and it's drinking water out of a limited supply of water in the soil. And so, you know, just thinking about how we need to reduce the number of straws. And depending upon how steep the area is, whether it's in wilderness or not, um, really can inform us to the best way to do that. So in a lot of places, it's going to be the combination of thinning and burning. Some places up in the wilderness or steep areas may be more burning and that's going to generate smoke, but I totally agree with you. We really have to think about protecting the soils however we do that and...
6: Yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, I don't think burning is the best way. I mean, I think putting the trees back into the soil, you know, you, you, you chop them down and you let them rot in place. Well, you know what? That's
3: That works in some environments, and in the dry Mediterranean environment, and it's getting that way, decomposition is not always very fast. And, in fact, you know, we think about the um, dry forest ecosystems of the Sierra Nevada, certainly most of them, fire was an important decomposition process, and it left some organic material and release those nutrients back into the soil whereas right now it just accumulates and if you go to the base of these old growth trees or pine trees sometimes that litter and duff is you know five ten inches thick and that may be holding water in but it's also an incredible amount of fuel so, you know, you kind of got to f- look at it all. I agree with you that you don't want to just, like, strip it bare and compact the soil, um, but you also have to realize that that's a huge fuel source, and it never it, it doesn't come back to the fact that there's, you know, if you cut the trees down and masticate or chip it all and leave it, it's still fuel. Well,
6: I- Fuel, fuel up in the air is one thing, because that catches fire so easy, and it just burns like a candle. But fuel on the ground kind of stays damp, and it's not quite as But I I, I should let someone else talk now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got several callers. So um, thanks, yeah, thank you very right. much for your comment. Thank you. And hi, you are live on the air.
5: Hi there. Hello? Hello? Hi. I have... Uh, Question for um, Kathy with regards to shade and what trees we could we might plant um, to hold the soil and to shade our homes and properties and especially shade the schools. Those kids are out there playing in the hot sun. We have a heat emergency also. Um, my second question is for the OES people are you partnering with Gold Country Stage to? Um, either place on the route or dispatch buses to apartment buildings and and businesses that have a large number of employees when there is a fire, which would have helped with evacuating the Brunswick Basin the other day.
3: Okay. I'll let you go first because that's a great point I haven't thought of
2: yeah that is that's definitely a great uh great point so while we don't necessarily we don't speak for or represent nevada county oes being a private company um that is definitely a very good idea and in our discussions with them we'll be sure to mention that um, we do work pretty closely with oes so um i think that that seems very reasonable we'll, we'll definitely bring it up to them
3: as far as um go in you. way, not cafe but she's a good person but as far as what you can plant That'll um, provide shade. You know, as long as it's the crowns are not touching the building and there's not a ton of them around, hardwoods are the best thing, deciduous trees, because they have less crown volume or crown fuels than conifers do. And the idea is just to keep them pruned up and rake underneath them or have the green lawn. So, you know, that's, I have a lot more black oak that I've retained around my house than the Douglas fir pines for that exact same reason. Um, so hardwoods, but still, they don't have to be dense. Uh, you know, I agree. The kids need shade, though.
5: So my suggestion is fruit trees, because that's what's working in my little yard.
6: Yeah, so great idea. Thank
5: you for all the work you are doing to help save our environment and protect us all. Bye. Bye.
0: All right. Thanks. Thanks very much for that call. And uh, we've got one more caller here. Okay. Hi, you are live on KVMR.
4: Hi, I'm a retired firefighter who's grown up in the local area, and I have a couple comments on things. Um, One of which is that in disaster management, usually they'll have names of buses and where there can be mass transit um, set up in OES and probably the, the agency. I can't speak for the local agencies not having worked here. But they generally have that in line to get those buses going. Um, it's worth checking to make sure they do. Secondary, another point is that defensible space is one thing, but also the, um, the temperatures of the air preceding a fire can vary greatly depending upon topography. So there'll be many fires where I will be a half mile away. And if I'm above it in a chimney, I will get superheated air. So even if I have total defensible space, I won't have good air to breathe. So That's people right. need to think about if they're, if a fire is below them or what the topography around them. And and even if they have plenty of des- defensible space, they, they want to leave because there won't be good air to breathe.
3: I agree. And, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's those superheated gases that are the most deadly. And my knowledge of being on wildfires is the exact same, and that's why I'm not going to be around.
4: Yeah, they can can preheat fuels uh, half a mile away, and when the fire front finally comes, everything just explodes because it's all been preheated. So you can't really defend against that by clearing your own property. If you're in a flat field, you'll probably do better. Um, If you are on one of our many hills or everybody seems to have a chimney behind them because there's ridges, then you're, you're not, there's really nothing that you personally can do about removing that air. Um, my third point is that when we talked about structure prep and the firefighters being diverted for structure prep, well, when a strike team goes in, they get given certain coordinates or certain areas or certain homes as their responsibilities, and after they do triage and say this home is sal- salvageable or not, and then they will go in and they'll do structure prep. They just call it that. And I'm not saying that, uh, the, that people shouldn't prep their own structures. Of course they should. It's just I want them to understand that's part of the language that occurs when uh, fire engines are sent in. They will be assigned to structure prep because there's not a lot of actual putting out a fire in a wildfire. But most of it is protecting spaces with a small amount of water around maybe the home, but you're not going to go out and put the fire out itself. Um, There's just too much fire for that.
3: Excellent point. And I think if people go to the Lassen National Forest Facebook page and the videos, there's a video right there about showing firefighters doing structure prep on the Dixie Fire. And you're right. Some of it they're going to do anyway if they're doing a bulldozer line. But some of what they were doing exactly what we should be doing with defensible space. So, You're right. They're not going to do it, but it would save them time.
4: I would say the first thing to do is everybody look at their decks and clear the stuff out from underneath their decks. It's probably the the best use of their time they could do because that's where most of the stuff is going to gather in a blowing firestorm, and and that's probably the number one stuff that I saw. So true. Thank you.
0: Okay, and thank you very much for your call. And we've I got just a couple of minutes left here, so... Oh, oh, I w- I, oh, and I wanted to say one thing, too. Um, um, this is the last Garden Forum at 1 o'clock on Friday. The uh, Garden Forum is going to be moving to uh, noon, or d- right after the BBC News, um, noon on uh, Thursdays. And Kathy Cavill will be the host next week, and, she will be, uh, and she'll be on about 12.06 next uh what well, next Thursday afternoon and Robin, I believe we I believe I checked with uh, uh, with the powers of the being it sounds like you will be on the second um, the second um, Thursdays of each month
1: oh great, glad to know thank you
0: so we still got about uh, two and a half minutes or so here
1: well, I'm really hoping that Leo will talk to us again, about where to get the information for Ladris.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, starting Monday, August 30th, you can go to ladris.com. That's L-A-D-R-I-S.com, and you'll be able to sign up um, to access the platform. And the platform itself will go live um, in September of this coming month, probably within the next two to three weeks, um, and we'll be able to get it out there into the hands of homeowners, and we'll probably also be launching – a bit of a media PR campaign, uh, perhaps in collaboration with OES to drive awareness. So I will definitely um, keep you posted on that, but please do go ahead and on Monday, starting on Monday, go to ladris.com to sign up. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you again for uh, having us on here to talk about this.
0: And is there a website or anything at this point, Leo?
2: Yes, yes, there is. So um, www.ladris.com, L-A-D-R-I-S.com. Um, and, uh, you can go there now, but starting on Monday, um, you'll be able to fill out a form and sign up, um, pre-registered to access the platform starting on Monday, August 30th. So please check back there on Monday. Um, and we'll be sure to put out announcements about that
0: as well as we start to go
2: public with this. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Hey, thanks very much for joining us today, Leo.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all.
0: And also, uh, Robin and uh, Joanne, uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, your comments and uh, and helping us with the helping us uh, introduce this new concept here on, in Nevada County.
2: You bet.
1: I'm d- delighted that this is happening, and uh, it's not just uh, the Garden Forum; it's the Forest Forum too. And when I say <laughs> Forum, I mean F-O-R, and then new. Dash, and um, us. <laughs> All right. Are you going to Scarborough
3: Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme.
0: Garden Forum is moving. It'll be on Thursdays at noon, the first two Thursdays of the month. So you've got a chance to have a monthly luncheon date with Kathy Cavill and Robin Martin, plus a three-day weekend in your garden. Kathy will host first Thursdays, and Robin will be your MC the second Thursday each month. Whether it's herbs, organics, flowers, foods, fire preparation, or just those pesky pests you'd like to leave your yard, Garden Forum is the place to call in and speak to Kathy and Robin with your questions, comments, or suggestions. That's Garden Forum. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme? High noon on the first and second Thursdays. Where else but KVMR? <laughs>